Totally Football Show, one last ride on the Premier League fun bus as we say goodbye to a remarkable season of thrills, spills and belly aches. Yet the EPL has been OMG in 2018-19, kings of Europe and with a tip-top title race to boot. We'll look back on the last round of games, ahead to the FA Cup final and catch up on the latest ups, downs and stay where they are across Europe and the EFL. All that and much, much, bracket some more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Wait, what? That's not Jimbo. I sense you internalise with a palpable sense of disappointment, dear listener. Well, firstly, congratulations on the perceptiveness. Secondly, fear not, we've got an A1 panel to make up for the fact that it's me, Matt Davis-Adams, in the host chair, while Jimbo and producer Ben are off in Bratislava having a pucking great time at the World Ice Hockey Championships. Do catch up with the latest episode of the Totally Ice Hockey Show, by the way. It's out now. So with the bosses out of the way, myself and producer Abby are going rogue with an X-rated edition of the show, in a way. Yep, it's a horny cock story in the pod today. I'm talking about my guests, of course. First up with Jimbo away, <laughs> he's our go-to guy for mid-90s hip-hop references today. Damn right he likes the life he lives because he went from negative to positive and it's all good. A big hip-hop hooray-ho to a European football expert, a drummer and a man with luscious glossy hair. It's James Horncastle. Thank you for that juicy opening. There. You're very welcome. Uh, next, you'll know him best as a contributor to the outstanding Nottingham Forest quarterly Bandy and Shinty, issue 12 out now. He also writes for lesser-known publications like The Eye and 442, as well as Football 365. His latest book, 250 Days, Cantonar's Kung Fu Kick and the Making of Manu, is available now. Because I've got Amazon Prime, I could buy it for £6.24, but you probably get a couple more buyers from that plug alone, so you really ought to give me one for free. It's, um, it's simple economics. Morning, Daniel Story. Good morning. And last but not least, it's Mr Tactics himself, author of the yes. soon-to-be-released yes. zonal marking, The Making of European Football, which has a lovely cover, uh, by the way. He also wrote The Mixer, about which one online reviewer wrote, thought the book would be a bit more in-depth, probably covered too long a time frame, meaning it was a bit of a whistle-stop tour of tactics. Anyway, good luck with the new book, <laughs> though with 79% of Amazon reviewers giving The Mixer five stars, as someone once said, you don't need luck when you've got 79% of the population behind you. Office reference tick, howdy Michael Cox. Hi Matt. <laughs> Those are some comprehensive intros. High time we get to the football. Only one place to start. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. But finally, we know it. First place in the Premier League does go to Manchester City. The title race. Well, for a minute, 83 seconds, it looked like we were going to get some proper drama. To recap the pre-match scenario, Liverpool at home to Wolves had to better Manchester City's result at Brighton if they were to pip the citizens to the title. On UK TV, this meant we got the match of the day, double header edit, where they split between highlights of the two games, which is always a joy. Daniel, you were at Anfield. Mm -hmm. What was the mood like? Optimistic, resigned, bit of both? It was a really strange mood in that, obviously, Liverpool took the lead before any goals at the Amex, which meant that at that point the game completely meandered and everyone at Anfield kept one ear, one eye on, on events between Brighton and Manchester and City. And the Wolves fans. Yeah. I, I, I was sat next to Sam Cunningham who we spotted that the Wolves fans did a little cheer which then made that end of the main stand cheer which then went round almost like a Mexican wave around the ground. And all eyes then went to the press box and said, like, oh, who scored for Brighton? We were like, no one scored for Brighton. But then within 90 seconds, Brighton had scored. And clearly at that point they believed and, and they were right to believe. As City scored, there was just a really, I described it as being like at someone else, at the wedding of someone you don't know. It was just an odd atmosphere where no one really knew how to behave. And yeah, the only good thing is in the last 15 minutes, because City had already scored four, they could just play with a kind of freedom and just appreciate what what had been a brilliant league season. So we spin back to the first half. Sadio Mane puts Liverpool ahead on 17 minutes. City responded in suitably jittery fashion by letting actual Brighton score a goal. Uh, but they're behind for less than a minute and a half. Sergio Aguero equalises. And Michael, were you ever of the opinion that, that City were going to chuck it away? It was a very brief period that, that they wobbled for. Yeah, it was a brief period. And you could tell by the reaction after the equaliser that it was down to business. It was a poor start from City. Guardiola changed system and played Sterling as almost a number 10, which I thought was a surprise at this stage in the season to, to go to a system he hasn't really used before. Yeah, when but, I saw uh, that, I thought, oh, has he overthought this? Like, a bit like his <laughs> yeah. Champions League, but then it's Brighton. So, but. but they went back to their usual system, really used a lot of width. Sterling was good, but Mahrez was excellent. And Mahrez, the player who 
Had City not won the title, he might have been held accountable for missing that penalty against uh, Liverpool. But in the end, it was his goal really that kind of sealed the deal. So that was the third goal. That was after Imeric Laporte had given Pep's men the lead seven minutes before half-time. So once you hear that goal's gone in, Daniel, I'm guessing the sense of deflation at Anfield's like a bouncy castle shop at closing time. It's just Yeah, yeah. It, as I say, there was a mood of, of clear mood of resignation, but also that slightly ironically gave them the crowd and the players a bit of freedom over the last 20 minutes because Wolves were the better team between Liverpool scoring their first and second goals. But after that second goal... There was a bit of a, almost like, I would, I would kind of liken it, I've talked about weddings, so I'll talk about funerals, but you know how they say kind of celebration of life rather than mourning death? It was very much like that. It was, there's no point being upset here. We've had an incredible league season. We've still got a Champions League final. So for goodness sake, there's no point being down on ourselves. Uh, and they did. They, you know, they, Anfield stayed completely full for the, for the lap of honour at the end, which doesn't always happen and certainly didn't happen in other grounds yesterday. So yeah, there was an appreciation, but clearly tinged with a fair amount of disappointment yeah. Trent Alexander stayed back to just rack up more assists how amazing was that a... <laughs> just whipping in crosses for his mates to score <laughs> uh, so Mane scored a second for Liverpool in the second half didn't mean much in the grand scheme of things but it did take him to 22 goals and a third of the golden boot which I don't know laces with Mo Salah and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang three African players sharing the award which is nice there's, there's been a lot of focus on Liverpool over recent weeks and months but we should pay some due deference to the champs some of the numbers their total of 98 points is the joint second highest for any team in English top flight history converting three points to a win only they themselves have earned more with 100 last season they've won their last 14 Premier League games in a row only record that's longer than that was their own of 18 uh, which ended in December 2017 and they've won 32 Premier League games equaling their own record in the competition from last season James, they say that like Shakira sips, the table doesn't lie. But there's no doubt that they're worthy champions, even though it's been this remarkable race where Liverpool have ended up with more points than a Fergie Man United ever did, for example. Yeah, I think they've set new standards in this league and it's still quite frightening, really, when you recognise that they've been out without Kevin De Bruyne for much of this season, who was very much kind of the figurehead of, of last year's title-winning team. To retain the title and be the first one to do that in a decade... I think is is special also because I think they've had the most formidable title challenger of anyone in that time. And you look at how City City have kind of been the Premier League team of this decade. We all know how well resourced they are, how well coached they've been under Guardiola. But you look at how how sloppy they often were when they were defending their title. And instead, this time around, they really put that behind them. I think they really wanted to to do that as well. And yes, they've had some nervy moments this season. It's completely understandable uh, when Liverpool just keep coming. But I think I'm right in saying this. I totted it up myself, and this excludes kind of stoppages, and it's not down to seconds. But I think City in the Premier League this season have been behind for 87 minutes. I mean, that's just astonishing, really, to not really give many of their opponents a look-in for, you'd say, probably 90% of the time in that. That's real dominion, that is. The other thing that's easy to forget and would be mentioned a lot more if City hadn't won the league is that is the injuries they've suffered this season. Kevin De Bruyne is probably their best player and he's started 11 league games. Fernandinho's missed 11 league games. They've only started five together. And I'd say, again, arguably, De Bruyne the best player, Fernandinho maybe the most important. Benjamin Mendy's played 10 league games all season. Sergio Aguero's been injured for a while. David Silva's injured for a while. Ilkay Gundogan was out. John Stones has not played as much as he would like. I know they have incredible squad depth, but they're, they are injuries that no one else would have been able to cope with. And the reason we're not thinking about them is because they just powered on regardless. Mm. Yeah, uh, and I think that's true because you look at some of the other top sides around Europe who um, maybe don't have the same wealth in terms of the backer, the state, that, but, but are certainly very rich. It doesn't matter who you are. If you lose one or two key influential players, if you take you know, a cog out of a mechanism... It doesn't start to move as, as smoothly and things can start to really fall apart. And City, as Daniel said, they just haven't at all. They've taken all that in their stride. Pep's always found new solutions, which you look at on paper, whether it's Zinchenko left-back, Delft left-back, whoever it is at left-back. Yeah, It doesn't seem to bother them. It doesn't seem to matter. Last summer, Michael, they missed out on Jorginho and Fred. Are they going to be looking to recruit in that area again, do you think, or anywhere else? Well, probably a blessing in disguise. They didn't get either of those. Well, certainly Fred, Jorginho, maybe a different case. Yeah, I think uh, probably a defensive midfielder is something they're looking at. Fernandinho is 34 now, which has kind of come around quite quickly. Mm-hmm. I always thought of him as 
if I was asked to guess, I would have said 31, 32 until I actually found out. But he's getting on a bit and they do need to replace him. I think they'll probably get another centre-back. Mm. There's um, speculation that Otamendi will leave and from the way company was uh, saying goodbye for the season, wouldn't be surprised if he moved on. So they'll improve the squad. But again, it's it's a it's generally a pretty young squad. And the one player you would say maybe a year ago they really had to try to replace was David Silva. But from the form of Bernardo Silva in a, a central role, you think that's pretty much done? They wanted Ben Chilwell last summer and didn't get him. Leicester held out, but there were reports before the game on, on Sunday and on Saturday that they are back in for him. Rumours of a release clause, although they, they were kind of quickly deleted and changed. But I think probably fair to say that Guardiola has had lost his patience with Benjamin Mendy. He demands that complete commitment and Mendy's suffered with injuries but there is also a, a, a fairly real accusation that his mind's not quite on it yeah I noticed he tweeted something in praise of Pep Guardiola virtually yeah. as the whistle blew like, yeah. hey this is what I'm good at boss I think left back was the area where Guardiola never really sorted at Barcelona as well um, they had Abidal who's a very good player but maybe more of a centre back they were using Silvino there they tried to bring in Maxwell they had Adriano it was only after Guardiola left and they brought in Jordi Alba that they really nailed it down so I think that's the one area where teams have been able to exploit I think Zinchenko's done a good job, but when he's up against a proper, direct, quick winger, I think he sometimes struggled. And it was interesting on the, on Monday night, Guardiola went up to Chilwell and straight after the, the game gave him a hug, said well played. And we've seen that before with, with Guardiola, that if he praises a player like that, you can be pretty sure that he's considering making a move. I, exactly the same as Fernandinho, how old he is. I was astounded to learn that Ben Chilwell has only just turned 22. I thought he was a bit older than that. So there's clear room. He's been brilliant this season. Now Leicester have got a good thing going on, I suspect, under Brendan Rodgers. But if he gets the chance to move to City, he would surely take it. In terms of Liverpool then, any Liverpool supporter that you meet will be quick to tell you how they can't be disappointed with this season because they've done so brilliantly. But they got to 97 points and not won the league. They might have to go somewhere similar next season. Is it going to be possible for them to do that? It's, it's a big I, ask, isn't it? I would say that I think there's more reasons to think that they will stay at the level they are or get better than there is to think that they'll fall away badly. If you look at the teams directly below them, Tottenham will spend again this summer but don't have the budgets. Arsenal lose Aaron Ramsey and it sounds like Emery might only have £50 million to spend. Manchester United are in disarray and, and Chelsea will probably lose Eden Hazard and to, I still think he's the best player in the Premier League. So if you look at those teams potentially not ooh, struggling to get stronger, Liverpool will. I don't see there's a, there's hardly a player in Europe at the moment that if Klopp sounds out and says he really wants to make him feel special that would turn down Liverpool. So He doesn't do that sort of thing. No, no, <laughs> he doesn't. But if he did, uh, no, I, 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 I don't see any reason for them to fall away. I, I agree with you that they may well need to hit 100 points next season to win the league, but it seems unfair to judge them as second-place losers, given the points total they achieved. I mean, again, they've had injuries this, this year. You think of the number of times where, you know, like when Gomez, for example, went out, you think of... Oxlade-Chamberlain's missed the whole season. Yeah, exactly. And they've they've been able to, to cope. You know, remember when Klein went out in January? Klein, this is a disaster. You know, how are they going to cope there? And yet they've they've again found ways. And I think it just goes to... City were derided for using that holistic term when they were replacing Mancini. But I think you can say it for both both these clubs, not teams. They're just... Everything seems to be going right on and off the pitch, you know, in terms of recruitment, in terms of fitness conditioning, in terms of the detail that, uh, you know, no stone is, stone is unturned when, when it comes to game preparation. Liverpool have to look at this and think that's, that this is the start of something rather than, you know, Pete Klopp, because I think he's finally got the team where he wants it to be able to compete long term. Mm, absolutely. You three will be aware that WWE are touring the UK at the moment uh, and they were they were in Liverpool last night and uh, WWE star, superstar as they call them, Elias, who's uh, a baddie, a heel. His gimmick is that he's like a country and western singer who sits in the middle of the ring and sings songs deriding the local city sports teams. Uh, so last night he put on a Manchester City shirt in the show in Liverpool and um, yeah, and, and had a little sing song. We can have a listen to that now. He sang yesterday, but reworked the words to be about Man City winning the title, uh, and the crowd booed. It was very, very funny. <laughs> <laughs> One fallout from this game, which we haven't mentioned, which has come to light today, Brighton sacking Chris Hewton with immediate effect. Uh, Michael, do you see this coming? 
Yeah, I did actually. I just speaking to their supporters, I was surprised at the number who actually were keen to get rid of him a few games ago. I'm pleased that they didn't because I think that would have been uh, unnecessary. But they're an ambitious club, and I must say, I've always been of the view that Chris Hutton has done a very good job, and clearly he has. But I was writing a preview for the Arsenal Brighton game uh, last week. And just going through Brighton's squad, I was like, actually, there's some good players here. And you look at someone like Jakambash and you think, okay, he hasn't settled. But maybe he hasn't settled because he's playing such a defensive side and he's spending the entire game in his, his own third. And when you look at Knockart, Pascal Gross, who I know has been out injured, Solly March is a really good player, Bissouma. Bernardo Bissouma. Yeah. Actually, I think when you look at the calibre of managers that some bottom half Premier League sides can appoint, and we're talking plucking managers from you know, the top four or top five of other major European leagues now with the financial resources, it's probably time to make a change. Mm, If you're a fan of the Totally Football League show, you'll be used to this feature we like to call Club Statement Time. Uh, It's very Ron Seal from Chairman Tony Bloom. Undoubtedly, this has been one of the most difficult decisions I've had to make as Chairman of Brighton and Hove Albion, but ultimately one I've made due to how we struggled in the second half of the season. Our run of three wins from 23 Premier League matches put our status at significant risk. It's with that in mind and the performances during that period that I now feel it's time for a change. Daniel, I feel like this actually might be a win-win for both because Hewton leaves with his reputation intact. He kept Brighton up. Some people will think he was hard done by. Brighton can go get somebody else. The first Premier League club to sack a manager in November because they're struggling could look to Chris Hewton. Yeah, absolutely. And if you speak to Norwich fans, and they're not entirely unbiased on the issue, but they kept Chris Hewton having finished 11th, I think, in the Premier League, and then watched as it all fell apart, as it has for Brighton in the second half of this season, were relegated and and have kind of tried to get back there. Did so in an Alex Neal and, and obviously now have Daniel Farker. And people think that, that a club sacking a manager is them saying, you've been a failure at this club. That's not what they're saying. They're saying, we think you've probably taken as far as you can. And by all accounts, as Michael says, Hewton was excellent with the old heads, excellent with the old guard and getting them promoted. But... They spent £80 million last summer on about 11 players. He hasn't integrated many of them well. Even players like Yves Basuma, who is, I think, one of the best central midfielders outside the top six, has only played kind of half the games or started half the games. And I think there's just a sense that with the attractiveness of this club now, um, they can get someone better to take them on. And yeah, as you say, Hewton will get the next either a, a very good championship job, let's say West Brom, or the next struggling Premier League club, and that's probably his level, I think. And the thing is, I think Brighton's recruitment and Hewton, it's not two, two entities working at cross-purposes. They recruited last summer very much on the needs and the demands that Chris Hewton basically laid out to them, and tried to... They were very careful not to kind of change the culture that they had in their dressing room, which had got them up in the first place. And I think, in some respects they were entitled to feel a little bit disappointed that they didn't survive more comfortably this year. And that really from the second half of the season, particularly the last six weeks of the season, they found themselves panicking in a way that yeah, they, they weren't expecting. Brighton have got so much going for them in terms of stadium, training ground, dare I say proximity to London in terms of being a destination for, for players that you know, I think is an understandable decision and they've bought themselves time really between now and pre-season to find a, a, the, the right new manager to take them forward. We talked about points with Liverpool not just judging them on league position but also the fact they got 97 points. Brighton got 36. That isn't staying in the Premier League points total. It's not sustainable. They were fortunate that, that Huddersfield and Fulham were awful and that Cardiff suffered you know, their one shot at staying up was, was Emiliano Salah and that was a horrific tragedy. They were they were they did well through that, unfortunately. And yeah, it's not it's not sustainable. If they'd have suffered their second half of the season in the first half, he would have been sacked in December and everyone would have said, Well, they had no choice. So Graham Potter, the early favourite with their friends at Paddy Power at one to six. Laurent Blanc twenty to one as well. So Brighton had a, a, a bit of a say in the title race, but not much in the end. It's City who win it. Liverpool can console themselves with the Champions League final. Been a decent season for them, regardless of the inevitable sense of disappointment at not winning the league. The same can't be said though for their old foes, Manchester United. We'll be discussing them next. I'm Roger Giggs, and I want to talk to you about loyalty. I've always lived a loyal life. Always drinking the same pub. Never missed a training session in my life. After all, natural talent is overrated. Always go to the same gym. Come on, Rod, think of someone that makes you angry. No one comes to mind. Problem is, loyalty gets you nowhere. Live for rewards instead. 
That's why I'm Paddy's Rewards Club ambassador. Thanks, Paddy. Paddy Power's Rewards Club. Loyalty's dead. Live for rewards. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. To Old Trafford then, where Ollie is now digging his nails into the wheel so deeply that he's disabilised the immobiliser. Meanwhile, David De Gea is in the back seat crying because he spilled his Capri Sun all over the floor. Mike Feeling's lost the sat-nav and Paul Pogba's getting heckled by a kid in the car opposite. A 2-0 defeat to relegated Cardiff. Cardiff was the signal for hundreds of Twitter wags to dust off their Solskjaer's finally got a tune out of Cardiff material. Uh, he said, we concede easy goals and don't score at the other end. We have to come back with a different mentality and in the different attitude of being a Man United team. Team. This is another sign that he's not the person to turn United around. Is that even possible with the current structure, James? We've got that he's Aklak the same Hanif. manager that Cardiff sacked, perhaps. Oh, quite, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Aklak Hanif asking, how bad will next season be for MUFC? They're just going to chuck a load of money at some sort of players who aren't really going to help them out and be in the same old position that they're in now? Well, I mean, Soska has gone from the, it's United, we should be fighting for titles, to... It's going to be a big ask to essentially compete to be in the top four all of a sudden. Again, what I find really interesting watching him or listening him to him is how often he, he, he's about to say something critical of some players. Usually there are some players who are, who are you know, fighting for the shirt determined to do well. And then there's some anyway, and he kind of moves on. And I think the problem that United have is at the moment, uh, a lot of their kind of uh, narrative is they need seven or eight new players. When you have that much wholesale change, that sometimes is a really bad thing because you almost all of a sudden have a completely new team that needs time to basically work together. Maybe they'll get that time because they'll probably be starting in the Europa League at the you know come come July, but it's a hell of a job, and I really think he's unfortunately out of his depth. And the the ownership at United now have a real real problem because. Yeah, essentially they've given him this contract, I think, based on emotion. And even Solskjaer was admitting yesterday that they got the rub of the green in that in that very good run that they had. He basically called it exceptional efficiency, <laughs> which is, okay, I mean... That, the word for luck. Yeah, but pr- pretty much. So, I mean, that was just, what a miserable way to, to, end, this, to end the season. And he was absolutely right in, in what's the positive you can take for the season's over. That's it. The key point, Michael, seems to have been that they appointed him at such a weird time. And now we've got Maurizio Pochettino kind of making noises that maybe he'd leave Spurs if they won the Champions League. Does it just come back to being as simple as why did they appoint him on a permanent basis when they didn't need to? Yeah, I think so. And I think the reason is because that was a good week to make headlines. I think it was an international break. And that's what we keep hearing from Manchester United, that Woodward is just obsessed with PR and making the news. I don't think we should forget that actually Solskjaer's done a really good job as a caretaker manager. I know things have gone badly in the second half of his spell, if you like. But since he took over in December, remember, they were real shambles in December. And since then, Manchester United got 40 points, Arsenal 36, Chelsea 35, Tottenham 32. So that's all he could really do, win more points than those other teams who are going for the top four places. Obviously, he wasn't going to compete with City and Liverpool in that respect. But yeah, there's, there's, I can't really see any reason to, to keep him on as manager. I think there's mid-table managers or, or managers of mid-table clubs who have proved themselves over their careers more than Solskjaer. And I think they've got themselves into a terrible state. And I wouldn't be surprised if they go back on their word. I know it will be embarrassing for them and maybe this will contradict you know, what I just said in terms of the PR and the headlines. But there's better managers out there than Solskjaer and it's it's just strange they're in this situation. There's another aspect of it, Daniel, that if you're a player, prospective player looking to sign for one of the top six teams or even a Wolves and a Leicester with Nuno and Brendan Rodgers, mm. Solskjaer's not exactly going to pull you in in terms of there's a top level coach who's going to improve me no and and in his slight defense Manchester United are not a club that is going to attract you at the moment either. They are a shambles by all accounts. There is a huge amount of ill will in the squad over Alexis Sanchez being paid significantly more than anyone else. And quite frankly, I understand that. If you're a player who has played at the top of the game and you feel like the club are bringing players effectively above your head on more money, that must feel like a slap in the face. But again, in Solskjaer's slight defence, Manchester United now, I worked out the other day, since David De Gea signed, who I make the only player to have significantly improved his reputation since signing for Man United over the last X years. Now that's in trouble. <laughs> yeah, they've spent £870 million on players. So either they've exclusively managed to pick 
indolent and, you know, players who don't care enough or there's something within the core of the club that forces players down that route. And we're not talking players not trying. We're talking about a lack of cutting edge at the very top level, which is a 2 or 3%, not a 10 or 20%. That's not going to change just by throwing more money at, at bad problems. There, there needs to be a change of structure. There needs to be a change of culture at the club that the on-pitch stuff is more important than off-pitch. And I don't think it'll happen. Yeah, they keep telling us it's coming, but uh, we shall see. As for Cardiff, they became the first newly promoted team to win away at United in the top flight by a two-goal or more margin since <laughs> soon-to-be two-time European champions Nottingham Forest in uh, I mean, 1977. <laughs> Fair play to you for that. <laughs> <laughs> Mendes Lang also scoring more goals at Old Trafford than Alexis Sanchez has done wow. this season. Yeah. Cardiff down, but without having disgraced themselves, really sort of did as well as they could be expected to do now. I've got to say, I'd have Warnock up there as close to manager of the season. Honestly, I know they've got relegated, but I think that's a mid-table championship squad. He did an incredible job to get them up. And, I mean, there's not there's barely a player in that side that would get into pretty much any team that survived in the Premier League. And yet they've made life really difficult for a lot of opponents. And I think they've, in some games, they've been quite bold as well. And, and they have got thrashed sometimes. They've, they've lost 4-0 and 5-1 and stuff. But in other games, they've given it a really good go. And I'm quite pleased for Cardiff because... You know, they waited for so long to come up to the, the Premier League and their last experience was dreadful for many reasons, not least playing in the wrong colours. I mean, it was a farcical season. And even though it's, they've gone down, even though it's been kind of marred by tragedy, they can kind of feel proud of themselves. And I think that's, weirdly, I think a lot of teams in the Premier League this, this year, the supporters will be quite content. I don't think many teams, the bottom two, obviously, but I don't think many teams have, have had a disastrous season. It's just been quite a nice, positive Premier League campaign. Yeah, and good that this time round, Vincent Tan's kind of kept himself out of the headlines too. So Cardiff down, uh, United finished six. Behind the top two, though, were Chelsea, who end the season in third after a rotten nil-nil at Leicester. Um, James, I'm interested to know what, what the perception <laughs> of Maurizio Sarri's first season has been in Italy. It's been very Italian. It's been results-based in that this guy has got them back into the Champions League. Um, they're in the Europa League final. They've been to a Carabao Cup final. You look at the teams that they beat to get there as well. Their sort of record against the top six has been pretty respectable apart from that defeat to City. But as you well know, Matt, the mood at Stamford Bridge is very different. It does not correspond with the results, which if you look at, you'd say, first season in, in a new country, given all the kind of how late he was appointed, the players that left, the signings being late... Yeah, that that isn't very much how Chelsea fans look at it and feel about it. It was very interesting after the Europa League semi-final penalty shootout win against Frankfurt. In that, he kind of reflected on on you know why the players haven't really bought into to his style of play, and he gave this he gave this explanation that in the Premier League, you know, there's some outstanding individuals, uh, outstanding individuals who want to do it themselves or more of it themselves and they like to carry the ball they like to dribble more they don't like to be part of a system where they're playing passing combinations and they and, and they have to kind of wait for these openings they want to create an opening themselves with with a little bit of skill and trying to shift that mindset and maybe this is the the big cultural shift from Conte to 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 Sadi is 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 Conte was very much let's set up this way and then let our players in the final third win the game themselves whereas he's very much like no I'm going to show you how to do it this is how you do it and that's where he's had a real he's had a real problem I think getting this adjustment in their in their mentality which I think is fascinating Daniel because he's got the opportunity with the transfer ban in particular he's got a load of young players who can be moulded in the way he wants and he's kind of reluctantly as the season's gone on done that with Loftus-Cheek and Hudson-Odoi mm. I wonder if we might see somebody like Mason Mount or, or Fikayo Tomori or somebody like that if he's got this system which people aren't buying into who are 28 to 31 surely it makes sense to use a much more malleable teenager early 20s kid and try and see if they can do it. Yeah, I completely agree. The huge klaxon here is that Eden Hazard has carried that team for for plenty of this season and will probably be leaving. Now that that might strengthen your point. It might say that if we're losing the best one of the best individual players in the Premier League, we're going to need to be a team next season. We're going to need to be a team in name and definition. So that maybe adds kudos or credence to that claim that, that he could bring in young players and kind of sculpt them as as he may like to do, but it's going to be a heck of an ask because if things start 
slowly next season those fans are going to double down on on their feelings that he is the wrong man for the job and and there is an argument and I understand it that that Chelsea have achieved in spite of him and because of Eden Hazard this season rather than the other way around so I don't know it'll be interesting yeah. it will be interesting it, 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 I mean um, the day after they got into the final the Europa League there was a, a big piece with him in Gazette de la Sport where basically one of the English correspondents Stefano bless him went to spend spent time with him in, in his office what transpires is all these Chelsea players were basically dropping by his office and saying gaffer gaffer come and do this gaffer gaffer come and do that I can't remember what the occasion was but there was some kind of celebration going on and he was very much like no I'm working I'm working and that was his focus. He wasn't, he wasn't trying to bond with the players, if you like, which I found quite striking because oh, it's Jorginho. He's oh god, what's he want? David Luiz, oh, what's he want? And this sort of thing. I'm, I'm here, come. I'm, I'm doing some work here. Can you just stop bothering me? It is strange where there, there isn't this kind of the level of empathy that you you see with Klopp, for example. You see with less so with Guardiola but you still see at the end of games with Guardiola you see it just how much he's embracing slapping slapping his players on the backside and that sort of thing and it really I mean he is a funny guy uh, sorry because his whole philosophy of football is kind of anti-Italian in terms of it's about the enjoyment he wants to to build something beautiful but then he doesn't really seem to enjoy his day-to-day work or even football in general. I mean, it's a man who said he didn't watch a minute of the World Cup because there's nothing you can learn from it tactically, which kind of makes sense. But you think as a football <laughs> fan, you might be vaguely interested in who wins the World Cup. So, yeah, he's a, he's a strange... He with the Tour de France, Michael. That's, that's <laughs> that that is a fair point. Personally, I think it'd be better for both parties if, if this ended now, to be honest. He's I think... got offers in... I mean, he's got interest, significant interest yeah. in Italy. The problem is what the Chelsea do because how how attractive... Are Chelsea when there's a transfer ban, which again they've tried to get lifted, have been unsuccessful in that. The nuclear option is if you're talking about bringing Mason Mount and Fakaya Tomori into the team, is to appoint the manager who's managed them this season in mm. Frank Lampard and Jody Morris as a as a Chelsea management team. But Michael Ballack slash Petacek above them in the Michael Emmett. Yeah, well, it, <laughs> it, it feels like this has just happened a season too early for for Lampard and Morris, and therefore probably a year too early for Chelsea. So why not? There is an argument to make Sarri the fall guy of the transfer ban and say get rid of the transfer ban while he is in charge, and then get rid of him afterwards to bring in the guy they really want. But as we know, kind of giving up a year if you finish sixth or seventh next season, it's damn hard to get back in. Mm. Well, that's Chelsea. Leicester end the season in ninth. They were poor here, but a decent end to the campaign under Brendan Rodgers. Should do well next term. And North London teams, we're coming for you next. So meanwhile, in North London, Spurs finished their domestic campaign ahead of Arsenal, but behind Chelsea after they're held to a two-all draw by Everton. It just seems really weird, doesn't it? The Spurs have sort of quite serenely gone through the season in terms of on the pitch, maybe not off it with the stadium, etc. And yet they finish behind Chelsea, who've lost 6-0 at City and the manager's throwing the players under the bus and it's all been tumultuous. Yeah, it has been a bit of a strange campaign. I think it's been strange in recent months with Kane in and out the side and sometimes Son looking better without Kane. They're in a Champions League final, which is... I honestly think this is a bit of a cliche, but I honestly think it's beyond the supporters' wildest dreams. They're, they're not a, it's not a fan base that is accustomed to that kind of success. And in my experience, it's not a very positive, optimistic fan base. They are the type of fans that always think things will go wrong. And yeah, whatever happens, just to be in in Madrid, however they get there. I've heard some incredible stories about how people are getting from London to Madrid. It's incredible. But yeah, that's fantastic. Fourth consecutive top four finish in the top flight. First time they've done that since 1964. Daniel, is, is Poch going to be there next season to see if they can go five in a row? Is this just posturing slash yeah, posturing? Uh, to my mind, and I might be proved spectacularly wrong, but it feels a, a kind of diluted version of, of Rafa Benitez's argument of this is the perfect time of year, particularly having got to the Champions League final to say, look, I can't do another 2018 summer. I can't do another summer of nothing. I don't want seven or eight players and there's evidence to suggest that Pochettino was resistant to bringing in players last summer but that has to change if if the expectations are going to shift and like it or not when you reach the Champions League final anything else from that other than a Premier League title challenge will feel like a step backwards which is incredibly unfair on Pochettino but if that is going to be the case then he needs some more players just squad depth they shouldn't do what Manchester United might do which is by a series of individuals but Pochettino is clever enough and has been there long enough to know exactly what he needs and there are pretty obvious flaws in that squad that with a little bit of surgery you know bring in try and get Aaron Wambasaka maybe try and sign Wilfred Zaha 
buy another central midfielder, see if you can scupper Leicester's move for Yuri Tielemans. Yeah, Grealish has been mentioned, Ryan Sessegnon has been mentioned, that kind of youngish young player with experience in English football or prodigious talent from abroad fits the bill and they would be silly not to do it now. Is he also thinking, Michael, maybe victory in Madrid lifts Champions League trophy, drops Mike, leaves? You're not oh, going to improve Mourinho, that. 2010 just gets in a Florentino, but right, obviously Zidane's there, but yeah, it wouldn't happen, but I know what you mean. And 2004 as well. Yeah. Both times Mourinho's won oh, the yeah. Champions T- League. Take your medal off, walk away from the winner's <laughs> yeah, podium. Exactly. It's not about me, guys. Cameraman, come this way. You can, you can see it. It's always nice to end on a positive note. And uh, yeah, I kind of hope not because... It's just been so competitive at the top of the Premier League and, and Tottenham have added to that. And um, I think following Pochettino will be really difficult. Mm. Hey, you know um, how Arsenal are rubbish away? Well, after taking Valencia to the woodshed in their own backyard, the Gunners only went and won at Burnley, courtesy of goals from the aforementioned Aubameyang, who got a brace, and Eddie Nketiah. Fifth place finish means they go straight into the group stages of the Europa League unless they beat Chelsea in the final later this month. Of course, Michael, you are in Valencia. If, if we... Sum up Arsenal's season. Is it possible to do that before the game in Baku? Like, like looking at Emery's first season as a Premier League manager, he's done all right, hasn't he, with what he's got? He's done okay with, I think, a, an imbalanced squad and some bad injury problems. I thought the first two months, the key part of his system really was getting Hector Bellerin in on the overlap and he was playing really well. And then he suffered an a injury that kept him out for the rest of the season. For that to switch to kind of Kolasinac doing that. There's still questions in terms of what the default plan is, what the philosophy is. But no, to be honest, I don't think we can evaluate it before the Europa League final because I think his job, a key part of his job was to get into the Champions League and the Europa League was always seen as a possible avenue because he'd won it three times with Sevilla. So it it does come down to, uh, to one game and I wonder whether Arsenal will just have a little bit more incentive to, to win that game. And that was exactly. going to be my next question, so um, I'll see if Daniel agrees with you instead. It's, it's so <laughs> much for Arsenal and for Chelsea, it turns a decent season into a good season, but for Arsenal, it's everything, really. Yeah, it is. Uh, uh, I've already used him as a caveat in one argument today, but let's not overlook that it could well be Eden Hazard's last game for Chelsea. I think he would love to go out on a on a high, having led them to Europa League final and would presumably leave with far more goodwill if he did do that. And he is good enough to expose whoever Arsenal play at, at right back if if that's the system that, that Sarri plays. Always wary of oversimplifying games like that but if, if Hazard plays to the, his best ability I think he probably troubles Arsenal enough that he can win the final on his own. Mm-hmm. But yes, you're absolutely right, there's more incentive for Arsenal. And Hazard was man of the match in the FA Cup final last year. He, was, he should have been man of the match in the League Cup final this year. Didn't get given the award because Chelsea lost on penalties which is always the kind of thing that annoys me but he was clearly the best player he does turn up on the big occasion so I completely agree with Daniel Yeah, he was absolutely exhausted uh, in the semi-final against Eintracht Chelsea got this game in America this week as well post-season game I can't see him playing any point in that and James Arsenal really impressive quarters and semis mm. of the Europa League whereas Chelsea kind of breezed their way through to the semis and then had a really bad second half against Eintracht Frankfurt it's quite a difficult one to read if you look at it as a, as how they've done in this competition rather than in the Premier League this season. Yeah, I mean, you look at uh, Arsenal essentially going away to two teams that had dropped down from the Champions League, Napoli and Valencia, and beating them. Um, I was very impressed with how they played in both legs against against Napoli, you know, against uh, a coach in Carlo Ancelotti who's got even more pedigree than Unai Emery, and yet that was quite a, a measured routine win for them. But I just think, in some respects, coming up against Premier League opposition in the final, I think, is probably the worst thing that could happen for them. Just because they're so familiar, they know the the flaws that are in this this Arsenal side. And again, you just look at Arsenal; that you know they've conceded what fifty one goals in the league this season. I suspect Chelsea will find that uh, quite an appetising proposition to have a go at. I'm going to go with, uh, because I, I like to die on the Maurizio Sarri mountain, that Sarri will be lifting that in the uh, land of fire that is Baku. And presumably he'll come onto the pitch then to lift the trophy no, like he... No. he uh, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, luckily there won't be that many Chelsea and Arsenal fans there because all of the tickets are like, you know, UEFA delegates and 
it's you know the airport's not big he enough. Might prefer to... that if they lose two 0 <laughs> first half. He, he might prefer to have any <laughs> six thousand fans in the stadium. Was it was it just me who found that utterly bizarre that he wouldn't go on and give a team talk in extra time or before the penalties because he can't enter the pitch because he's superstitious. Uh, yeah, surely, the, surely that's where you've waited all your life to get to this top managerial job. It's a semi-final of a European competition. It's your last I, chance to I, impart I think, some wisdom. I think it's fair to say that if he he had the chance of that EFL Cup final back again, he would probably do several things differently in terms of the Kepa subst- <laughs> non-substitution and and all of that. So. But yeah, this is huge for Sarri, obviously, because not only for his Chelsea career, but also for that lingering accusation that is, I guess, is more apparent, although you said Italian is results-based, I guess is is being used as a bigger stick to beat him in England that he hasn't won a trophy. You're right. I mean, that's the thing about these two finals is that three of the managers, in their English time at least, haven't won anything. Of course, Klopp's won stuff in, in Germany, but it is interesting how, you know, in some respects, this this hex of this this criticism that uh, is all too easily made at them will be will be lifted. All right, that's the Europa League final preview done and the business end of the last day of the Premier League season dealt with. What about those teams who played in flip-flops and sombreros, figurative sombreros? We'll discuss them next. Hello, Totally Football Show. I miss you, but we're having a great time out here in Slovakia covering the World Ice Hockey Championship. Every day we've got the latest update on all the events here, so if you'd like to know who is Kapu Kaku... How Team GB are getting along... And why Germany's keeper Niederberger ironically has a lot on his plate, then join us every day here for the Totally Ice Hockey Show. All the hits, none of the padding. If Golzy Jam Selhurst Park was the place to be on Sunday, Crystal Palace and Bournemouth shared eight of them. Palace coming out on the right side of a 5-3 thriller to register just a fifth home league win of the season. Only Huddersfield earned fewer. Mishy Batshuayi got a couple here. He tweeted, Source FC on duty again. Flames emoji, blue emoji, red emoji. Superb game for the last of the season. Hope you guys enjoyed as much as we did. Heart eyes emoji, flames emoji, at CPFC. Hashtag are you not entertained. Eagle emoji. Um, <laughs> no Batman. No, yeah, okay. Yeah, damn. Is there a Batman emoji? There's got to be a bat emoji. Least, yeah, yeah. It? I, I, I mean, that was the whole marketing genius behind his short-lived move to, to Valencia. There's just so much synergy there. It was. <laughs> just forgot. I'm, I'm, head, I've got you? a flame emoji like coming through me now. Yeah. <laughs> so, who needs to improve more out of these two, Michael, for next season if they're going to avoid any sort of relegation bother? You feel like Bournemouth are maybe riding their luck a little bit now. Yeah, I don't really understand Bournemouth. I've said this before, but they can just look brilliant and look look very, very porous in, in different games. Brooks and, and Fraser have both had excellent seasons, as we know. And I think they have tried to um, address the defensive side of things. Jefferson Lerma coming in was a, a positive move. What but a it, goal he got here, by the way. Crikey. Yeah, but they they do need some more defensive reinforcements. I think probably a new goalkeeper. I don't know whether Mark Travers is uh, as good as he looked in that win over Tottenham. So yeah, they're they're slightly in danger of slipping backwards. I think, especially because uh, the sides coming up from the championship do seem quite tasty, and I think the relegation battle will be more competitive than it's been this year. With you know Fulham and Huddersfield never really in the survival picture. And I guess for Palace, Daniel get a striker if presumably Batshuayi is going back. He hasn't done brilliantly, and and see what happens with Zaha are the, are the key things for them to address. Yeah, I think if they if they have if they have to sell. One of Zahar or Wambasaka, they would probably prefer to sell Zahar, even though he's a better player, because he's made it pretty clear that he wants to leave, and he's done them good service over two different spells, and probably deserves Champions League football. The ideal scenario would be that they sell him abroad, but yeah, if they can keep hold of Wambasaka and spend the Zahar money on a strike, I know they're, they're they're apparently pretty close to Che Adams at, at Birmingham, who scored twenty odd goals in the Championship this season, and it is a gamble, but that's. That's the level Palace are at. They tried the the big name signing with Christian Benteke and it really hasn't worked out. Michael's still desperately hoping it does. <laughs> but um, So yeah, they have to, to do something. It, they're a strange club, Palace, in that their home form has been wretched this season, even though Southers Park is, a, is a, a good place to watch football and has a good atmosphere. And their away form has been tremendous, but I would have, you know, without being a doom, say I'd, I'd have more faith in the, the, the away form getting worse than the home form improving, which is when you look at the teams that finish below them, 
you know, if Newcastle keep Benitez, Southampton have changed their manager, Brighton are going to change their manager. If we think that the clubs that come up are going to look all right, then suddenly Palace are a little bit worried. Mm. Elsewhere, uh, West Ham, thumping win for them at Watford, James. 4-1, they secure a top-half finish. Uh, the, the big story coming out of this, though, Jose Holibas getting sent off and pending appeal, missing the FA Cup finally, brought down Mikel Antonio. Um, the reaction seems to have been it was a bit harsh. I thought it was a ridiculous challenge for him to make and it was a red card, no? Yeah, I thought it was classic Holibas, really. Um, this, this, he has that in him. In fact, it is him. This, <laughs> this defines Holibas. So, yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame for, for, for Watford, who um, I suppose everything is geared towards this FA Cup final, which again, you know, going back to Holibas makes this all the more disappointing. But their, their end of season has petered out a little bit when they, it really did look like they could be the best of the rest. For, for some time but um, yeah, I think West Ham have, have have improved this year I mean kind of I wouldn't say under the radar but they're what 10 points better off than they were than they were last year much calmer as well no fans running onto the pitch protesting <laughs> etc and so on yeah I think some of their signings have been have been pretty pretty good this season yeah I mean you look at I think what they paid was it 7 million for Fabianski I think yeah, in terms of goal goalkeeping this year of course, Edison and Allison are going to get all all the plaudits, but it's been outstanding for them. Well, we're on um, Watford. Let's talk about the FA Cup final quickly, Michael. The, the, the Jose Holibas sending off and, and subsequently him missing this game is massive for Watford because he takes pretty much all their set pieces, which would be a key area for them to look to score in this game. Yeah, that's a great point, especially when you consider how City considered to uh, to Brighton at the weekend. Yeah, I, I assume it will be um, Massina who will come in at left back, who is an OK player, but that's not a position where they have great strength and depth. So yeah, it's a shame because I think Watford have been a really good team this year. I think won their first four games, didn't they? And would would joint top of the uh, league for a while. And West Ham lost their first four games, and we thought they were going to be in massive trouble. So to see West Ham finish ahead of Watford is something of a surprise. Yeah. Watford spent more days in the top four than United did all season, which wow. again is <laughs> not great, is it? To know, no. But I remember seeing Messina play. I think it was in the in the game against Liverpool. When I mean. Watford always get hammered by Liverpool, unfortunately, but Salah gave him a, a torrid time without scoring. And you can, again, you can just see the kind of wide players that City have got. Yeah, not the kind of thing to be going, not the kind of game you want to go in cold, really. Um, so, Tough. Yeah. But in terms of City, Daniel, um, by the time they got back to the Etihad for their celebrations last night, uh, most of them looked pretty drunk. Is that is that Watford's <laughs> best hope? They'll just keep the party going all week? I mean, their, their best hope will be, will be Troy Deeney ruffling feathers as as he does yeah the fact that Holibas is not there to take the set pieces is is disappointing but I suspect with players like Gerard Delafeu they've got players who can take set pieces it's not going to be that there's no one there and yeah Dini is their best shout but I think as soon as City went out of the, the Champions League they doubled down this resolve that we are going to win a domestic treble which is a, a genuine legacy for this season rather than expectation which was winning the title and yeah I think they they will win City have always had this slight slow starts and obviously been humbled by Wigan in FA Cup finals. They were quite reasonably poor against Stoke when they won their first one. So they've always been quite sluggish in FA Cup finals, but I think they will yeah, I think they'll win by two clear goals. So they're looking to become the first men's team in England to win the domestic treble. Arsenal did it, their women's team way back in, in nineteen ninety three. That'd be nice for them, Michael, but it's not a great look for the English game if the the team with the most financial power wins every trophy, is it? It's sort of one of those where it, it, it's a good thing for one season, but you don't want the pattern to repeat itself. Yeah, but I think uh, I think the league overall has been competitive. You look at the last four seasons and there have been seven different teams who finished in the top two, which is the most of any European league. Even you go down to the bottom reaches of the coefficients, you don't get that kind of competitiveness. So... I don't like it when one team dominates a league too much. I agree with you, but I think this is just a very, very good team who have prevailed by relatively fine margins. You know, penalty shootout, one point, and we'll see what happens in the FA Cup final. Um, so I don't think that's too much to be concerned about. So Watford stumbling into the final, having lost 4-1, City having won 4-1. Elsewhere in the Premier League, Fulham said goodbye for now with an appropriately ranked defensive display, losing 4-0 at home to Just Newcastle. After Scott Parker got the job on a permanent basis now. So he's got, he's got a two-year <laughs> deal. the Solskjaer effect. And he's gone full like... Solskjaer immediately. <laughs> 
Uh, he'll be in charge of them in the championship. We don't know where Rafa Benitez will be come August, although I think he's going to be at Newcastle, isn't he? Uh, Huddersfield also waved to tie. They drew 1-1 at Southampton. Very slightest sight of some green shoots of recovery for Jan Sievert after this result in the draw against United, but they still finished 20 points from safety. They've had one win since November. It's going to be a slog in the championship. Anybody got anything to say about any of these games? Well, I went to see Sievert a couple of weeks ago and he is... I agree with you, it is going to be a slog in the Championship. And I think Huddersfield have probably planned that if they have to spend two seasons down there, that's kind of fine. But he is ludicrously positive about it. He he said, we play Manchester United, we will get a point against one of the big teams for the rest of the season, I promise you that. And they did, and they were as good, if not better, than Manchester United. And he is incredibly positive. That doesn't mean necessarily anything, and it certainly doesn't mean everything. But if they go on his attitude alone... It's going to be a very, an interesting summer there because I think it's fair to say that he has clashed with a, a few players who had one eye on summer moves when it became clear that Huddersfield were going down. I think Philip Billing is probably the most obvious one of those who will leave, but others will too. And if he can build a team like David Wagner did through contacts abroad, it isn't that hard to see how they could turn it around. Change of chairman, a bit dangerous for him potentially. Isn't they'll definitely. Yeah, that is dangerous for him, although... Dean Hoyle was he had interest in selling the club last summer to to a foreign investor and pulled out the last minute because he wanted to go to someone local and and it has now gone to someone local so I suspect although the owner has changes it gone to that guy who was in the stands who looked like Jan Seifert but wasn't Jan Seifert. <laughs> that would be good Martin yeah. if he had now if, especially <laughs> if he had built a lookalike empire off the back of that TV appearance uh, no so although it's a change of owner it's not a complete shift in ethos. Talking to the Championship, we'll go into detail on that and the other EFL playoffs next. Started off Championship-wise with Villa beating West Brom 2-1. They came from behind to do so. Dwight Gale put Albion ahead early on. Uh, he was later sent off for two bookings, so missed the second leg. He'll and actually miss a final as well because he got, he got a subsequent ban for his dive. That counts as a red, a red card applied, which means this is his second of the season, which means he gets the extra game. So he will also miss the final, which is absolutely gutting. Cheaters never prosper. Cheaters who cheat against Nottingham Forest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is prosper. true. Yeah, um, second reference. Good work. That's what he's. That's what he's learned. Um, Cheaters do prosper if if you if you class cheating as as doing all the kind of reconnaissance that you need to do in order to break down <laughs> Frank Lampard's Derby side. Which Leeds have no problem doing. <laughs> All right, we'll get to them. But uh, in this game, Villa level courtesy of a, a great goal from Conor Hurahan. Tammy Abraham got them the W with a coolly taken penalty. He was lucky not to concede one thereafter. They meet again at the Hawthorns on Tuesday. Uh, James, as you alluded to, Leeds win 1-0 at Derby in the other championship semi. That's thanks to a Kamar Roof goal, 10 minutes after half-time. Daniel, you watched this. What did you make of the uh, penalty furore? Derby got one and then it was taken away. I thought it was... A v- I thought it was ultimately the right decision. The fact that there was a change of decision always makes that more controversial, and I fully understand that. Frank Lampard said after the game, and fair enough, it was in post-match, he was disappointed, and he said, I can't believe the the assistant referee overturned the referee's decision. Well, that's not really what happened. They just had a chat and came to what they considered to be the right decision, which is exactly how official, you know, officiating is meant to work. Jack Harrison, wasn't it, tangling with Omar Bogle, initially given as a penalty, and it's Eddie Smart, the assistant, who who goes over to the Yeah, actually, if anything, it was the other way around, and that's what he gave. And I think that's probably right. Smart Uh, decision. Very good. (laughs) (laughs) I'll let someone else talk about how good leads were. Well, the roof goal was fantastic. No, I mean, in terms of the just, roof was on fire, you, know, you might say, in, indeed. But yeah, the build-up down the left-hand side was, and and the ball in for roof was. It's one of those those moves that I think it's very difficult to to, to stop unless you get very agricultural in your uh, in your challenges. But um, no, it was it was it was impressive. I felt Leeds deserved to win. Matthias I mean. Click, lucky not to be sent off for a sort of headbutt on for Kaya Tamori. Yeah. I didn't think that was actually. I, I think it's hard to class that as violent conduct, isn't it? it kind Silliness of, it was. Really, it was silly. It? It's one of those where if he did get sent off, he'd have no sympathy. But football's definition of violent conduct is always I find slightly <laughs> odd. That's, I just, I just <laughs> not the same as the laws, <laughs> is it? Yeah. I just hate fighting Michael Cox. I just don't think standing up and putting your head against someone's yeah. chest in, with in, the steel in that chair. kind of manner is is violent. Zidane, when you go full headbutt, yeah. okay, that's violent. But this was yeah. just. 
Yeah, just brushing him, really, wasn't yeah. it? Uh, on the penalty, by the way, I love the quote from, from Frank Lampard. He said that the decision uh, it was like human VAR. I mean, just to be clear, <laughs> VAR isn't an actual robot. It, it's yeah. a person looking at a screen. Uh, in the League One playoffs, Sunderland beat Portsmouth 1-0 at the Stadium of Light despite playing the second half of the second half with 10 men. They go again at Fratton Park on Thursday. Charlton won 2-1 at Doncaster. In League Two, Tramir won their home leg 1-0 against Forest Green Rovers. Second leg is tonight. That's Monday if you're listening in the future. The winners play Newport at Wembley after they overcame Mansfield on penalties. And plucky underdog Salford City will be in the EFL for the first time ever next season. They brushed aside AFC Fylde in the National League playoff final at Wembley winning 3-0 on Saturday. The Totally Football League show will go into greater detail on those games and more. It'll be ready for you on Tuesday evening. And meanwhile, in Scotland, Rangers won the Old Firm derby 2-0 at Ibrox thanks to goals from James Tavernier and Scott Arfield. It means they've won back-to-back home games against Celtic for the first time in seven years. Um, Celtic will point to winning the title as being very much the real quiz. Join Andrew Slaven and the gang for more on that and other things Scottish football in the Totally Scottish Football Show. Right, nearly done, but we're off to Europe next. So Europe, Germany, in the Bundesliga, Bayern Munich missed the opportunity to seal the title with a game to spare. They were held to a goalless draw away to RB Leipzig. That means Bayern need to draw at home to Eintracht Frankfurt in their final game next weekend to secure a seventh straight league title. This after Dortmund won 3-2 against Fortuna Dusseldorf in a game which featured two stoppage time goals, a missed penalty and a red card. Boss Lucien Favre said, now we have hope. We now have to beat Gladbach and we'll wait for a miracle by Eintracht in Munich. And Eintracht have got plenty of motivation to try and pull off said miracle. Miserable week for them, compounded by a 2-0 defeat at home to Mainz on Sunday. Means they need to get something, probably a win from the Allianz Arena if they're to nick the final Champions League place. Final round of Bundesliga fixtures takes place on Saturday. Can't really see Bayern not getting over the line, can you? I don't know. I think that's that's quite a t- tricky game for them. Their run-ins was difficult. I mean, Leipzig have been very much the kind of team of 2019 in, uh, in the Bundesliga. I think only Bayern have got more points than them. They've only lost one game this calendar year and defensively they've been brilliant. I think only City have have conceded fewer goals than them in Europe's top five leagues, um, which, you know, it's going to be quite interesting for Ralph Ranić to kind of go back upstairs or choose what he wants to do in the kind of RB network of football clubs after after what's been a pretty damn good season from him, just, you know, sort of revolutionary back in the day and he keeps coming back in you know when he's when he's healthy and is still as relevant as ever and still really really good at getting uh, making teams competitive so I'd like to think that Bayern will screw this up I suspect they won't fans of narrative I guess Daniel might might enjoy the the added twist that Nico Kovac having left Eintracht Frankfurt mm. to take over at Bayern there's a potential subplot there yeah and they've really really essed the bed uh, in the last two weeks of the season Frankfurt <laughs> <laughs> no one expected them to beat Chelsea but they lost 6-1 at 6-1 at Leverkusen yeah, yeah. Got all the goals in 37 yeah minutes. and and obviously lost at home to Mainz and I mean they had a Champions League spot in their hands and are now overwhelmingly likely to miss out on it. And Europa League, for a club of their size, it shouldn't, but Europa League participation next season will now feel like a relative failure. Mm. Their supporters, by the way, were absolutely amazing yeah. at Stamford Bridge. Um, I mean, a lot of love for that. It's unfortunate that they went out in a in a kind of shootout because you look at the circumstances in, in how they got through against Benfica, where they were down to 10 men away from home for ages and got two away goals, which yeah, essentially gave them a foothold to turn that tie around in the second leg. And again, lose the first leg against Chelsea and made a real fist of it in the in the second leg as well. So, yeah, you just feel that they've had a fantastic season, an amazing season. I think everyone comes out of that with their kind of reputation enhanced, not least, as you mentioned, Matt, the, uh, the supporters. I do feel a bit sorry for the manager. He calls himself Ardy, but his name's Adolf Hooter. Surely, when you go into the registry office uh, as his parents in the 60s in Austria and you're like, yeah, we're going to call him Adolf and the bloke's like, Okay, but your surname's Hooter. I mean, you you sure you want to call him Adolf? I mean, because once I write the form down, then then it's stuck. I respect him for trying to reclaim that name. Yeah, he's behind the eight ball there. Uh, In Italy, James is going to tell you what happened because he's an actual Italian football expert. Mm, Yeah, um, some drama, uh, I suppose, in that uh, the 
Top four race is looks like it's going down to the down to the wire. Atalanta very much kind of got their destiny in their own hands. Um, keep impressing, and they've got the cup final in midweek uh, against Lazio, which is again good to see that uh, Juventus is not going to have a clean sweep of all the domestic honours. That uh, one of Atalanta and Lazio are going to lift uh, the trophy, both in kind of impressive form really at the weekend. Lazio quite comfortable away in Sardinia against Cagliari and uh, Atalanta, despite with, with being without Alejandro Gomez, who's with Josip Ilicic, their kind of main uh, string puller, coming through against Genoa. Juventus losing against Roma. Roma somehow still uh, just about uh, on the, with their fingernails uh, with a chance of getting, uh, getting Champions League football. Uh, and then, yeah, down the bottom, it's, it's getting quite tight in that uh, Empoli and Udinese won. So Genoa are just a point above the the drop. They do have the edge on on Empoli on head to head, but the momentum's very much against Genoa. Yeah, to see a club of that size with that support, obviously the club that every English fan should should be rooting for, Genoa Football and Cricket Cricket Club. Um, but yeah, a genuine risk of going down. And I suggest that selling your top straight scorer and your star player, Christoph Piontek, in January, not a good idea, Matt. <laughs> Who'd have yeah. thought it? Um, in terms of Spain, champions Barcelona got back on the wagon with a 2-0 win against Hetafe. Atletico Madrid drew 1-1 with Sevilla and Real Madrid. Oh, Real Madrid. They lost 3-1 at Real Sociedad. Despite taking the lead, Sociedad also missed a pen. Vejeo got sent off for Madrid. See, I think it's surely not worth worth leaving the sanctity of Stamford Bridge for this this madness. Surely not. Meanwhile, at the bottom, be either Girona or Celta Vigo who take the final relegation place. They'll join Rayo Vallecano and Huesca in the Segunda Division next season. And meanwhile, in France, there were also some matches played and Neymar did some trickery. Uh, but time to hear from some other voices. <laughs> Let's get the odds. Producer Ben's been speaking to Paddy Power. Thank you very much, Matt Davis-Adams. And now, listeners, it's time to talk to Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, you're in London. I'm in Bratislava. Listeners, don't ask how we're making this happen, but we are. It's the magic of podcasting. And Lee, the Premier League season is done and dusted, but the FA Cup final awaits us next weekend. So what's going to happen in this one? I think you could have done numbers this bit, Ben. It would be no surprise to anyone that Man City are the heavy favourites here. Guardiola's men are 1-10 to to win the FA Cup, which would make it a staggering five out of the last six domestic trophies won by City. Watford presumably have been messing up for this one. How else do you explain a 4-1 home defeat to West Ham? And they're 6-1 to to trigger more tears from Elton by lifting the cup. And we've still got a couple of weeks to look forward to the European Cup finals. Let's start with the Champions League. Give us the early markets here for Liverpool versus Tottenham Hotspur in Madrid. <laughs> yeah, history's greatest ever runners-up. And they'll presumably hope to shed that new title. No, not the Premier League one, obviously, and go a step further in Madrid. And we do make Liverpool the favourites. They're odds on 4-9 to nine to be crowned champions of Europe. Yes, for a sixth time. But there is hope for Tottenham. Spurs are 13-8 to win the Champions League. And to be fair, after the first three group games of this competition, you probably could have added a couple of zeros to that. And last, but very much not least, really, uh, it's the Europa League final. It's a London derby between Arsenal and Chelsea in Baku, Azerbaijan. It's going to be very difficult for people to get there. There are not very many tickets for fans anyway. Lee, give us some numbers here, please. Yeah, poor old Mitchell Sarri. He's been to hell and Baku with Chelsea. But we think he'll return from Azerbaijan with a trophy and possibly his P45. Chelsea are 4-6 to six to win the Europa League in the match owner Roman Abramovich might actually be able to attend. Arsenal, on the other hand, are 6-5 to five to come out on top and win Unite Emery a fourth Europa League. Madness. And one final number wang for you, Ben. Of the three finals we've discussed today, this one, the Europa League, is the shortest price to be decided on penalties. It's 9-2 to two that either team wins on spot kicks. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. That's just about it, dear listener. Thanks for sticking with us till the end and thanks for your company throughout the season. It's been pretty terrific. I'm sure you'll agree. Michael, what's on your agenda for the summer? I don't have you pegged as a cricket guy. Would that be right? He is, he is a cricket, cricket guy. Cricket. Really? Well, why do you not have me pegged as a cricket guy? Cool. Because you don't like rugby, I thought you might be in my, my <laughs> kind of camp. He loves cricket. Wait, 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 wait. I got it somewhere. <laughs> Surrey Ultras. Producer Abby can drop in. I don't like cricket. He's going to show you a Surrey County Cricket Club. I don't like cricket. 
There it is. Wow. It's, it's an actual membership card for Surrey County Cricket Club. Question answered, Matt. Wow. <laughs> Emphatically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's only a matter of time before we do a totally cricket show. How, how are Surrey's prospects looking for, for this season? You're going to uh, knock them for six? Well, it's been a disastrous one-day cup campaign, which I'm sad about because it seems like it's going to be the last in its current format before mm-hmm. the 100 consigns it to history. Uh, but, yeah, we're... the uh, reigning champions of Division One, and and I think a very good chance of retaining that title for for this year. Yeah, I was thinking the same. To be honest, Daniel, have you got the cat booked into uh, the cattery so you can take a well-earned holiday? <laughs> Is cattery one of your favourite words too? Four, four cats, actually. Yeah, I'm going to the under twenty-one Euros for a bit and the Women's World Cup for a bit. So, football never sleeps. James, I'm off to Lake Orta for a week on Friday. Oh, um, yeah. uh, any tips on how to enjoy oneself? I've actually never been to mainland Italy before. I don't, really? I don't want to uh, make a what, boob of myself. What, Sicily? Been to Sardinia. Sardinia, yeah. Nice. I mean, mm. can't really go wrong there. I don't know. I suppose if you're on a lake, get on the lake, I would say. You know, sort of just... <laughs> There'll be some kind of weird pedalo thing. Just, just a true Italian expert. <laughs> <laughs> Thank yeah. God we've got you. Yeah. If it's fresh, it'll be a freshwater lake. Make sure you have some kind of local fish dish from whatever's whatever's come out of that lake. That's what fish, I would say. Probably, fish, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. delightful. Well, it's forecast to rain all week, and uh, I'm taking my eight-month-old son, so it should be uh, it's a relaxing. Giro d'Italia as well. So is know. that going to be anywhere around there? They must go around some lakes, don't they? Showing uh, my knowledge of other sports the, here at the moment. Moment they're in, uh, they're going through Tuscany. So I think today they they go they go to Orbitello, which is just kind of a lagoon kind of. It's nice, but nowhere near where you're going. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, finished in Florence yesterday, didn't they? Yeah, which was nice. Yeah. yeah. Is rugby the only sport you don't like? Then I'm not really a big golf fan. You like volleyball as well, don't you? I do like a bit of volleyball. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Different sports for different needs. Absolutely, mm. different seasons. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, you're glad you stayed for that last section, our listener. Um, we'll be back soon enough. Michael, Daniel, James, thanks for the metaphorical hand-holding. Listener, do have a lovely old summer, whatever you're up to. We'll catch up with you soon. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.